Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. For those of you that are new here, the Breaching Extinction podcast explores the plight of the endangered southern resident killer whales through interviews with the people trying to save them. There are currently less than 80 southern resident killer whales left, and they are currently threatened by lack of prey, vessel noise, and water toxins. All these factors impact one another and play a significant role in their population decline. They have historically spent much of their time in the Salish Sea. However, they've been seen less and less likely forced out of their home by lack of prey as well as busy and toxic waters. I'm your host, Erica Wirth, and I decided to start this podcast in 2019 after spending a summer working in the Salish Sea and learning about these animals. Each week, I dive into a new conversation with guests from varying perspectives. I approach these topics through an interdisciplinary lens in hopes of uncovering the intricacies of this complex issue. Through this, I hope to share insight as well as fit the puzzle pieces together needed to save this species. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in being featured on the podcast or sponsoring us, please reach out over Instagram at Breaching Extinction or send an email to info at breachingextinction.com. Thanks. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. This week, I'm here with Giovanni Bearzzi. He's an Italian researcher um, who we're here to talk about his study, marine mammals foraging around fishing gear or preying upon fishing catch and bait. It may not be depredation. How are you doing today, Giovanni? I'm doing great. Uh, Thank you. Yes. Thanks for being here. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How did you get into this field? I'm from Italy. I was born in Venice uh, almost 60 years ago. And over the past uh, 30 years or something, uh, I've been uh, studying um, mostly dolphins uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, in various areas of the Mediterranean particularly in Croatia, uh, Greece, uh, and Italy. And uh, I still do that. And I study them from small boats uh, at sea, uh, whenever the sea allows, whenever the sea is calm. And um, and I, I focus on their ecology and behavior and conservation, interactions with, uh, with fisheries, uh, and et cetera. That's about it. Very cool. So how did you get into studying marine mammals? Oh, by chance, I guess. I was interested in studying wild animals initially, but when I started, uh, there weren't many opportunities to to study cetaceans uh, where where I lived uh, in Italy. Uh, no, no, almost nobody was doing that. And at that time, uh, a scientist, uh, Giuseppe Notarbartolo di Sciara, Uh, came back from the States uh, where he spent a significant time uh, studying uh, marine mammals and other species and learning how to study them. And he kind of uh, imported uh, this uh, expertise, uh, this knowledge uh, 
into Italy when he came back to Italy. And uh, I was uh, his student, his student for a, for a thesis in, in biological sciences. And, and, and he basically told me, you just find a, a boat or a ship or whatever way you, you find to get out at sea and, uh, and keep your eyes open and see what you find what you, and try to identify the species. It was really basic in the beginning. It was about navigating as much as possible, photographing the animals, identifying the species, recording the position. And that was about it. And then uh, these studies... Uh, created some uh, background knowledge that allowed to understand how the various species were distributed uh, in the Mediterranean and where it could be worth uh, studying them more intensively. So uh, I, I started a study in, uh, in Croatia, former Yugoslavia at that time. It was still Yugoslavia, now Croatia. And, uh, and uh, with a small boat, a small inflatable, and, uh, and uh, photographing the animal, identifying uh, each individual, uh, tracking their movements, uh, recording their behavior, etc. And that is what I still do 30 years uh, later. Uh, now I study bottomless dolphins uh, in the Adriatic, uh, along the Italian coast of the, of the Adriatic in a region called Veneto. And, uh, and there are lots of uh, interactions with the uh, fisheries, mostly trawlers, um, midwater and bottom trawlers. So by um, seeing dolphins following trawlers uh, on a daily basis, uh, I got excited about uh, these kind of interactions. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm now especially interested uh, in the reasons why they follow these boats uh, and, uh, and 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 why and uh, and what happens to them whether it creates any problems uh, either to the dolphins or to the fisheries etc so we recently uh, with with another colleague uh, Randy Randall Reeves uh, who is a, a like a cetacean guru uh, uh, an extremely experienced and knowledgeable individual who has been studying cetaceans, uh, many mammals for much longer than me, me and Randy came up with this uh, uh, short paper published uh, in the ISIS Journal of Marine Science. Uh, it's this paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll link it in the show notes so that everybody can access it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and and uh, we, we started by by realizing that in this field in the scientific uh, field uh, most uh, scientists uh, talk about depredation when when uh, when uh, uh, they are they want to talk about uh, uh, cetaceans uh, interacting with the fishing gear they mm. say depredation and this word started sounding a little strange to me a little weird and and so I investigated further. I I was myself using this word, including in my publications. So by, I I started inquiring about the real meaning of the word and mm -hmm. where it came from. So it turned out we we uh, the 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 kind of uh, investigation was uh, quite uh, kind of simple. We identified the, the main dictionaries uh, uh, that uh, describe. Uh, 
this word and uh, and and uh, and listed all the possible meanings mm. and it turned out that the primary meaning of depredation is uh, is uh, is not what we normally mean it it, it depredation mean or depredate means to plunder typically using force to pillage to ravage to lay waste to despoil to destroy to commit waste and to ransack so that these are the 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 synonyms the the equivalent words in informal authoritative uh, dictionaries and and so for instance the cambridge dictionary includes includes examples referring to depredation by troops uh, during wartime an idea that may be familiar to many these days mm-hmm. and they they the example they make is uh, the entire area has suffered the depredations of war or they uh, refer to human destruction of biodiversity like depredation of the environment is destroying hundreds of species each year so this is the formal meaning Mm-hmm. Uh, of depredation as described by uh, by by linguists by authorities in this field mm-hmm. but what, what so so it it kind of uh, implies uh, that uh, cetaceans are deliberately intentionally stealing and destroying what is ours what belongs to us but what belongs to humans which is actually not what the, what is going on there yeah very uh, they, true. Uh, they have always been there uh, mm-hmm. relying on fish mm-hmm. and uh, and they take fish and we may be those who are going into their realm and take the fish away from them and actually we do know that many species and populations are suffering and declining because of uh, overfishing and uh, prey depletion caused by destructive uh, in over intensive uh, fisheries around the world and this also happens where where i work so uh, uh what we started questioning uh, and or asking ourselves whether depredation is the appropriate word and the fact is uh, that uh, uh, we as scientists maybe may have become used to to this word uh, and we routinely use use it when publishing uh, but then this kind of language is picked up by the media by journalists and they come up with the articles where they seem to understand the depredation as depredation not what we mean but what most people means when and understands so uh, we 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 happen to find a number of media articles where journalists uh, talk about cetaceans stealing not not uh, interacting or or taking some fish or simply foraging around fishing gear so i i will uh, mention some titles uh, that we found in the in the in the press uh, in the media one is dolphins steal fishermen's job not only they take the fish they steal the job of the fishers that was in sicily and another is thieving sea lions break into salmon farms and gorge on on feast of fish this was in the guardian so including reputable yeah uh, magazines not For only sure. the I mean, uh, 
And another was killing whales are stalking boats and stealing their fish. Mm. Again, the fish belongs to the fishers, not to the whales. Mm -hmm. They are stealing. And another is uh, killer whales are coming for our seafood supply. Mm-hmm. So the the sea in the uh, whatever fish is found at sea belongs uh, to us, not to them. Yeah. And another is crafty orcas are teaching each other how to steal fish, uh, etc. So this is what uh, you find in the media. And mm-hmm. and this is also my understanding is that uh, managers and uh, politicians uh, and uh, those in charge of uh, of uh, managing marine resources uh, mm-hmm. uh, as as they read constantly in the scientific literature words such as uh, uh, dolphins uh, and other species depredating uh, fishing gear they understand that they that's really what they do they depredate that's not all, always true by the way because uh, uh, sometimes uh, cetaceans are simply foraging around uh, uh, fishing gear or outside. Okay. Uh, for instance, they may take uh, prey that is sticking out of the nets uh, mm-hmm. the, when they follow the trawlers, for instance. Mm-hmm. They may also get into the nets, but, but uh, sometimes or most of the time, they take fish that has no commercial value because it is uh, damaged. Mm-hmm. Or and in other cases, the true level of economic impact uh, uh, of uh, catch or bait removal uh, turned out to be modest uh, or economically negligible. So in some cases, the dolphins do take fish from fishing gear, but the impact, the economic impact, uh, is uh, very low. And actually, we know cases when uh, the the catches increase because of dolphins. Uh, uh, using the net as a wall uh, and schooling fish into the net. So, or, or they may remove some fish uh, and the broken fish attracts uh, mm-hmm. other species like uh, cephalopods, uh, octopus, uh, and etc. that have a higher commercial value. So there are cases where they may take some fish from the nets, uh, but that goes to the benefit of the fishers. Mm-hmm. And, and that is not depredation, of course. And, and, and then, uh, uh, there are other cases uh, where uh, the scientific literature confuses depredation with which, with something that is not, like uh, dolphins foraging around uh, uh, fish farm cages. They actually feed on fish outside of the cages, not inside. So that would not be depredation. They're not taking the farmed fish, but the wild fish that is outside. Uh, but we are so used to this word, depredation, that we... Uh, uh, we use it for cases that have very little to do with actual depredation. And then even when it is uh, taking fish from the net, then the question is, is that our fish? Mm -hmm. Or does that suggest uh, that we are uh, entitled uh, to, or we own uh, all the, whatever resources or, uh, or animals are, can be found at sea? And actually, we we we, are, we should be sharing the resources with other species. It's not that uh, we take everything belongs to us, uh, and the other animals are thieves. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and the and another point that we raise is that uh, the historical roots of uh, this kind of thinking 
uh, are are very old. These are it's an ancient kind of thinking, and uh, and uh, for instance, if you if one of, of the most influential uh, philosophers uh, in our culture is uh, Francis Bacon. Uh, 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 Francis Bacon in the in, in in the year 1609 wrote something that that still influences uh, our mentality and our approach uh, to nature very strongly. And I'm gonna read uh, a short part of, of something he wrote. Uh, he wrote, "Man, man seems to be the thing in which the whole world centers." with respect to final causes, for all things are made subservient to man, and he receives use and benefit from them all. And the vegetables and animals of all kinds either afford us matter for houses and habitations, clothing, food, physic, or tend to ease or delight to support or refresh us, so that everything in nature seems not made for itself, but for man. So this is the root of our, still, still the root of our culture. That's where our mentality comes from, our approach to nature. And, and that is why it comes natural for us to use words such as depredation and to see dolphins uh, coming to take fish around a fishing boat as uh, thieves because we believe that everything belongs to us and we are the only species allowed to use uh, nature uh, because nature is at our service as uh, Francis Bacon pointed out so and, and that is dangerous. That is dangerous, and we are seeing every day, uh, tragically, where we are heading because of this mentality. This mentality has to change. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you, and I think this idea is something that we see in Westernized American culture as well. Um, and there are definitely some cultures that are better at integrating into nature than others. Uh, but I would say a lot of cultures definitely have this issue. Um, how do you think we can change the mindset of this? I think obviously first by looking into what this means and potentially challenging it, but how do you think that we can overarchingly kind of change that culture? But first, not all cultures, huh? Yeah, uh, are like that as you as you correctly pointed out. Some cultures, Western culture, uh, but but not all. Several indigenous cultures are more are very respectful of of nature, and they actually managed uh, to coexist with nature as long as we allowed them to do that, which normally we don't. Uh, so it is not all cultures. It is some, and some cultures. Uh, would seem to be more appro appropriate today uh, uh, as a model for interacting with uh, the outer world. Uh, and that would uh, incidentally ensure our own survival as a species and the survival of the planet and all other species. So if uh, we learned how to treat uh, resources more respectfully. So uh, the first step is uh, becoming aware that we are biased, that we find uh, killing species as uh, normal, 
we eat them most of the time, every day. We eat the species that were killed and mistreated. And so first step is realizing that we do that without even thinking about it, without realizing. And, and this is what I did myself. Mm -hmm. For many years, uh, I have been eating meat and fish, and then I realized that uh, there was something wrong about it, and I stopped. And for many years, uh, uh, I I used words like depredation. I had uh, uh, goals that were not consistent uh, with, uh, with the mandate to protect uh, nature and our planet. So... I, I, I'm myself guilty and uh, I didn't know, I didn't realize. I wasn't aware of, 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 of something that was wrong in this kind of mentality and I'm still very much unaware, but I try to become more and more aware because, uh, because that, is, uh, that is our only chance. Uh, uh, we are now in a pretty bad situation in terms of... Uh, uh, collapse of biodiversity, you know, climate catastrophe, etc. We hear about it every day, and we must do something about it. Mm -hmm. So one thing we can do as scientists is uh, change changing our language or being more careful when it comes to writing our papers and communicating to to the to the other people, including journalists that then may misunderstood this language. Uh, so becoming more respectful in our writings, uh, in our daily life, uh, that's what we can do. Reduce, reducing our impact on the planet, uh, reducing our uh, consumption, and etc. I mean, uh, each one of us is different. Each one of us can find different ways of tackling the problem. And uh, I'm, I'm not the one who can teach others what to do. For because sure. I'm I'm a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not perfect myself, but I, I try. And so this is just a very this paper was just a, the tiniest contribution. Uh, but everything helps and uh, and we try to do our best. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you know we're all sinners as you say, and nobody um can do environmentalism perfectly even those that are really good at it and live off the grid and grow their own food and everything um but i think we just need a bunch of people more people doing it imperfectly than every you know one person trying to do it perfectly and i think that this is a really important paper because it challenges our traditional for some of us our traditional mindset of the way that we view nature and that we just take things and don't view animals as having the same, you know, rights to the land or the food that we do. Um, and if anything, it's funny when you describe it, it, you know, the dolphins have probably more rights to the fish than we do. If we're going to look at it like that, because we can eat all kinds of other stuff. They cannot, they can't come eat a chicken. That's not going to happen, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, no, I think that this was really great. Um, so what other ideas or things do you think that people can look into? Um, Cause obviously, you know, you're saying you can't give a ton of advice, but for you, it sounds like maybe vegetarianism was an option. Are there any other like areas that you recommend that people look into to try to better their environmental impact or maybe resources that they could look into that might challenge traditional thinking? Mm. I'm not in the position of providing advice on such a, 
uh, on lifestyle, but I'm just saying what what I'm trying to do myself. Sure. And uh, the idea is that uh, we we think about it mm-hmm. in terms of uh, finding potential solutions and contributing to the to the common good. Mm-hmm. And we are constantly exposed to information that uh, screams. Uh, <laughs> Uh, please change, please change. The, the Your way of being, if you continue like that, is not going to work. So we must do something. And it is on each one of us uh, to find ways of, uh, of contributing uh, to do. And, uh, and, and we can think about it, talk about it with others. And by talking about it with others, we can influence others. And what I noticed that even if one started with a little thing and and that becomes viral, I mean, uh, you may feel uncomfortable talking about your choices, but then uh, as you share it with others, uh, it becomes more normal to to act uh, that way. Uh, I don't know, growing vegetables in one's uh, garden and relying on on your own food to the extent possible. That is something we tried, my wife and I, and and it worked. And then we talk about it with our fr- with our friends, uh, and our friends are influenced by these choices, and they may try themselves to do the same or to eat less uh, less fish and meat just because uh, they are exposed uh, to this kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. So talking about it uh, is good, not in terms of preaching or telling others what they must do. That is not going to work. But simply telling, I made this choice, mm-hmm. saying, sharing it with others and explaining the reasons, but without expecting everybody to do the same because others may do something completely different. Many of my uh, friends uh, are teachers uh, and they do eat uh, meat, uh, but mm-hmm. they are doing a tremendous uh, educational work uh, on a daily basis with the children, mm-hmm. uh, explaining problems to them and uh, and letting them understand uh, the, the current situation and how, and how they can uh, contribute uh, to the solutions. Uh, so it doesn't matter whether they eat meat or not. That is just one way of, of and, and they will come to it eventually. They are already shifting diet as they become aware, but they are doing other things that are even more important in terms of educating the young generations. And they do that daily. So we shouldn't judge the behavior of others, but we should try to do our best ourselves and let others know about it and then and about the reasons behind behind uh, these uh, choices so i'm sorry now we are drifting away from the main topic because <laughs> something really different but it is certainly related it's definitely related and i i, I do kind of like when people drift off topic because you know all of this is very interdisciplinary and everything's intertwined so um, I think it's still important to bring up, but I think you're totally right about, you know, you're bringing up some good points about the words that we use and then also, you know, how we move through the world. Cause you're right. Like trying to shove something down somebody's throat and say, everybody should be vegetarian or something isn't going to work. Um, and there's a lot of ways that people can take care of the planet. Like you said, exactly. Um, 
So I think it's all intertwined and it's all important. Um, I don't have any other questions for you, but do you have any other final thoughts for our listeners? No, I'm happy with uh, with your questions. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. All right. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. All right. We're going to sign off. Have a great week. Bye.